Lord, help me to take complex, difficult concepts, complex and difficult scriptures, and explain them in a simple way without being simplistic or distorting truth. Keep me from error as I attempt to open up your word. And may what I say benefit the heart and the mind of every person here today and of those who listen on the internet. Hear our prayer, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to turn with me, because we're coming back to Genesis 18, over to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And this is the dedication of the temple by King Solomon as he was able finally to uh, build the temple his father was unable to build because his father had shed a lot of blood. Page 681. Now we'll begin reading with his prayer. He knelt down on a platform and he lifted up his hands toward heaven and he said, looking there at verse 14, O Lord God of Israel, I want to point out, whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, in all capitals, it's God's proper name. God has a proper name, just as I have a proper name. My proper name is Robert. I have a nickname. And God's proper name is Yahweh. Yahweh. It is the most... Biblically consistent, Hebrew consistent way to pronounce the four letters. You see, the Hebrew Bible has no vowels. The vowels were added after Hebrew became a dead language. But we do know how things were pronounced as we look at other things. God had an abbreviated name. God's abbreviated name was Yah. Robert, Bob, it's not exactly a nickname, but his abbreviated name very clearly is Yah. And if you look at words like hallelujah, praise the Lord, you can see that there. So here we are told, as Solomon prays, he's saying, O Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now Yahweh God of Israel... Keep for your servant David, my father, the promise you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if, if, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law, as you have done. And now, O Yahweh, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. Now let's look at verse 18. But will God really dwell on earth with men? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Let those words sink in for a moment. In fact, St. Stephen, uh, as he's speaking uh, before he's martyred in the book of Acts, 
refers to this passage of Scripture. I want you to think about what, 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 what Solomon is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says that the heavens itself, the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Think about it for a moment. What is your picture of the universe or the multiverse, whatever way you want to think about it, with all of its dimensions, all its galaxies, all of these things, how vast it is. It's inconceivably vast. But this is what we need to remember. God's bigger than that. The heavens of heavens cannot contain you. Why? Because God is bigger than his creation. And God's creation is bigger than we can imagine. We have, we have now electron microscopes that allow us to see within a human cell. There are universes there. And so we have all of these universes within our own body with these, with these cells, with anatoms. And then when you think about telescopes and what we're able to see through uh, various means of telescopes that no longer are on earth, but that can read things, how vast is this universe? It's inconceivably vast. But you understand that God, Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created all of that. And we need to understand He is not the universe. And when we think of the omnipresence of God, we're not thinking that God is part of His universe. What I want you to think of is this. Think of it as if God, who is outside of time and outside of space, because both space and time were created by God, is observing all these things He isn't part of it himself, but he's present throughout the entirety of it because he's bigger than it. He can't be contained by his creation. Indeed, he's not part of his creation. It's very vital that we all understand there's a distinction between the creator and the creature. And we're all creatures, so is every bug, every bird, every mammal, every fish, every rock, every tree, and all of the unimaginable creatures in all of the unimaginable galaxies, in all of the unimaginable planets throughout God's creation. He's bigger than all of that. The heavens, the highest heavens can't contain you. How much less this house that I've built you. And yet, what I want us to see is While God's presence is everywhere, he is not part of his universe. That's pantheism. That would say that all that is is God. That's not true. God is not part of his universe. He is beyond it. And in God's presence, there's no yesterday or tomorrow. Ten million years ago, in God's sight, in God's presence, is no different than ten million years in the future. God is outside of space, outside of time, and yet his presence, omnipresence, is everywhere. Now, having said that, it's very important that we also understand that while God is omnipresent, there's nowhere that he's not, 
In that sense, there is a special presence of God. And our text today points us that way. Looking back at Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1 on page 24. Once again, notice who appears to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. The Lord, all capitals, that's Yahweh, that's God's personal name. God Almighty appears to Abram. And he has two angels with him. And so we see there, Abraham looks up in verse 2, and he saw three men standing nearby. In other words, when God, when Abraham saw God, in some sense, he saw what looked like a man. But something very special. And the same with the two angels. And you can see that there. And notice Abraham, who is at this point about 99 years old. That's old. That is really old. Having celebrated my 76th this past week. That is old. Wow. Golly. 23 more years to go. I just hope I feel as good as I feel now. So here's this old man, and he's sitting in the doorway of his tent. In other words, there would have been a flap open where he could be in the shade of his tent. The breezes, his wife Sarah is in the tent, and uh, he looks up. And all of a sudden, he sees three distinct persons. Not the Godhead. The Godhead is only in the one person, Yahweh. But along with Yahweh are two angels. And notice something what he does. He immediately wants to honor these three persons. And so what he does is he runs into the tent. First of all, he, he says, let, let, me, let me get some water so you can wash your feet. That's very important in the ancient world where people wore sandals and their feet got dirty. And then he runs in and tells Sarah, look, get up, get up, got to fix us some bread here. And then he goes and he gets a, a goat, a prized young tender goat uh, from the herd. And uh, he, he grabs it, he gives it to a servant. He says, fix this tender, oh, tender calf. I'm sorry, good Texas beef. <laughs> Not an old goat. So he, he gets a tender calf. Verse 7, he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And you think about that. This is veal, a very tender calf. And so he's got that. And then he's got curds and he's got milk. And I think about that and I like buttermilk. So anyhow... So notice, if you look at verse 8, the, the last sentence, while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Abraham is very polite. Abraham is showing respect to his visitors. Who are these mysterious beings? There's something about them. I don't know what it is, but I can tell they're special. And he stands by to make sure that they've got everything they need. And uh, while they ate, who ate? Well, Yahweh ate. Did Yahweh eat? <laughs> what does the Bible say? Yahweh is one of the three there. Yahweh ate, ate. And so anyhow, at that point, then the Lord tells Abram that his wife Sarah is going to have a child. She's doing what 
Not all women, but many women do, and so do men. She's listening, the wall of the tent. What's going on out there? Wife is going to have a baby. What? And, and she laughs. Verse 17, uh, excuse me, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master's old, will I now have this pleasure? Wow. And she, the Lord says, notice Yahweh said to Abram, why'd Sarah laugh and say, will I really have this child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid and she lied. So I didn't laugh, but he said, yes, you did. So anyhow, now, verse 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Verse 17, then notice again, all caps, Then Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing what is right and just, so that, the, so that Yahweh will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Now let's look at this. Verse 20. Then Yahweh said... The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, we have to distinguish here a, a, a thing. Did Yahweh himself go to Sodom? No, he did not. He sent his two angels there. But we can say that God is present through his angels. And so notice what he says in verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before Yahweh. Then Yahweh then Abraham approached him and said, "Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in Texarkana?" It doesn't say that, of course. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of the earth do right? Now, notice Abraham in, throughout this does not call God by his proper name. He says, he refers to him as the judge of all the earth. Look at verse 26. Yahweh said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram spoke up again. Now I, that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord. Notice it's not all caps. It's just the first letter is capitalized. This is the Hebrew word Adonai. It means jefe in Spanish. It means boss in ordinary speech. It means master. So we have these things here. Shall not, he says, I've, I've <clears throat> bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. 
I've taken it on myself to speak to the boss, to Hefe, to my master, Adonai. That's not God's proper name at all. It's simply a word that can be translated sir. And it is oftentimes. Though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of the five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I won't destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? And he said, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then he says again in verse 30, notice the language. May the Lord, capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d, that's Adonai, will, will the master, will the Lord, will the boss, will sir, will, uh, he, may not the Lord, my master, in effect, not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it for the sake if I find 30 there. And so he goes on. And notice, never does Abraham call God by his proper name. He refers to him as a boss. Yes, sir. Hefe. And so, anyhow, we, we go through this thing where Abraham, like uh, an Arab merchant, negotiating a deal. Have you ever negotiated a deal with an Arab merchant? I have. And so it's interesting. And so Abraham is like an Arab merchant negotiating with the boss. And finally, Abraham realizes, hmm, I better shut up. I've got the best deal I'm going to get. And notice the very last thing in verse 33. When Yahweh had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. What does this mean? Well, I think we get an answer if we go over to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And that's on page 226. Page 2026. But you've got to come to grips with something. While God is omnipresent, in other words, His entire creation is smaller than He is, in all places and all times, yet there is such a thing as the local special presence of God. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying when he promises to answer prayer, where two or three are gathered together in my name. It's the special presence of God. And I want to say, on May 21st, 2023, here on Robison Road, the pre special presence of God is here because Jesus has promised where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is. It's not that he dwells in this building. He dwells in the people of God. And so I want you to see something really clear and yet very troubling in some ways as we analyze it on page 226. And in Numbers chapter 12, I've used this passage before, uh, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses' big sister and Moses' big brother are getting jealous of him. How come he's getting all this? We're special too. And so, uh, and they're mad at him because his second wife, he married an Ethiopian woman. And so they are all upset over this. And so look at verse 4. At once Yahweh said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. 
Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Now, do you see what this is? The cloud is the manifest special presence of God. While God is immense, while he is omnipresent, while there is no place where God doesn't exist, if he can even speak with the word existence, because he always has been and always will be, you can only think of God in negatives. He's infinite. What does that mean? He's not finite. And so here he is. He comes, this God, who's bigger than the entire universe, comes in a special manifestation in the form of a cloud. He came to visit Abraham, appearing just like an ordinary human being, but it's Almighty God, Yahweh. And so Yahweh is there. He comes and he appears right in front of the tent of meeting, and he summons Miriam and Aaron. And when both of them step forward... He said, this is God now, this is Yahweh. Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, a prophet of Yahweh, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak, notice this, with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. Most of God's communication is in riddles. People are given dreams. They try to figure the dream out. They have this, they have that. Most of it's through visions. Isaiah 6, where where he sees Yahweh high and lifted up in the temple, is a vision. But notice what he says. With Moses, verse 8, I speak face to face, literally mouth to mouth. I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of Yahweh. Now that's an interesting word. Tamuna it is in Hebrew. Tamuna. He sees the form. The Greek Septuagint translated with, translates that word Tamuna with the Greek word for glory, the doxa. We get doxology from that. But Tamuna. What is it that he sees? What is it that Moses sees? Does Moses see God? Yes, but not in his fullness. Remember in Exodus 34, when God says to Moses, as Moses pleads with him, we ought to probably turn back there, Exodus chapter 34, and he says, Lord, show me your glory. Listen to his words. And he says there, Going back, let's see here. Exodus chapter 33, I'm sorry. And on page 140, Moses said to Yahweh, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now notice verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. What's he saying? God's saying, God, the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God, the God without limitations. 
He's saying, my special presence will go with you. While I am everywhere present, while there's no place I am not present with my consciousness, because I'm bigger than the creation, which is inconceivably big to a human being, he says, my special presence will go with you. Now notice... Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence, I want to translate that, not translate it, it's presence. If your presence, I want to interpret that as God's special presence. God's special presence is different from God's omnipresence, which is everywhere. So he's saying, in effect, if your Special presence does not go with us. Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And then the Yahweh, verse 17, said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said... Now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now notice what God says, verse 19. And Yahweh said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face... For no one may see me and live. Think about it for a moment. Moses spoke to God mouth to mouth, face to face, but he never saw God's face. He saw his tamuna. He saw a sense of the outline, a sense of the form of God. Now notice what what he says in verse 21 there on page 141. He says... Then the Lord said to me, Yahweh said to me, There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then you will, I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Let me see if I can wrap this up a bit. So when we, I've entitled a sermon, Omnipresence, question mark, because we're exploring that. God is present everywhere. The vastness of all that we can perceive with the infinite number of universes, including all the universes in all the atoms of your body. God's bigger than that because God is outside time and outside space. That God, who is so vast, who is so big, listen, that God will do with you what he did with Moses. He will speak to you mouth to mouth. That's amazing. Not in riddles. I want to say this to you. When St. Stephen is dying, as they're stoning him, and he's made a reference to Solomon's words at the dedication of the temple, What does he say? He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the power. Who did he see? 
He saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he saw someone else. He saw God the Father. He saw two persons of the Blessed Trinity by means of a vision. He saw them. He saw them. God, who is unable to be seen by mortal man, is seen by Stephen in a vision as he's dying. He sees the Father. He sees the Son. And here it is. God's special presence is here. God's special presence is here. In this place. In this very place. Why? Because you are here. And as I was thinking of my sermon last night, as my very unquiet brain tried to go into deep sleep, I was struck. Lord, you created this vast universe of universes. And yet, you're listening to me right now. You are my Father. You love me. And you're here present with me in this bed as I lie next to Sandy while I'm in a stupor, half awake and half asleep. You're here. Dear ones, I want you to cherish the special presence of God because many people know nothing of the special presence of God. Many people know nothing of the special presence of God. The special presence of God is for worshipers. When we come to worship, do we anticipate meeting God? There's all the difference in the world in gathering together out of duty. There's all the difference in the world in doing things biblically correct, following a regimen that is derived from Scripture alone, and going through all those things, and coming with an anticipation, I'm going to meet God today! When you come to worship, anticipate it, hunger for it, thirst for it, long for it. For I swear to you before Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is nothing that this world has to offer that can compare to being in the special presence of God. I knew that special presence last night as I prayed to Him and asked His help as I'd been studying on this matter for a week. And I had that overwhelming sense. I'm talking to God. He's communing with me. He is my Father. He's here with me on top of this hill in this bed next to my wife. And dear ones, I just say this. That special presence of God is guaranteed whenever two or three gather together in His name. And I want to add this, in anticipation of meeting God. I've been in many churches over the years. And I'd have to say, the vast majority of churches that I have worshipped in, the people don't anticipate meeting with God. It's the whole thing. It's the difference in going through the motions. Now, you can be a true Christian, and you can go through the motions, and you can get blessed by a sermon, or blessed by a solo, or blessed by the hymns. But coming and thinking, not, oh good, I get to go to church today. That's great. But what's really great, what most people who go to church don't ever experience 
It's the special presence of God. May I ask you as your pastor, would you do me a favor? Would you begin to pray that as we gather to worship next Lord's Day and the following Lord's Day, that you will pray for the manifest presence of God to be here. And when we experience the manifest presence of God, we will want that presence more and more and more. Because no matter what this good world offers, at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. May we pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us an anticipation, not of getting to go to church simply, though we are excited about that, but Lord, an anticipation of meeting with you. May we be people who practice the presence of God, who practice your presence. Lord, so that holding communion with you in unbroken fellowship is our great ideal in life. Lord, when we lose our temper, when we get mad, when we get upset, when we give in to fear, or whatever we give in to, envy, jealousy, strife, Lord, would you give us a short turnaround time? Would you grant by the prompting of the Holy Spirit immediately to say, Oh, Lord, I'm sorry I grieved you. Please fill me with your spirit. Please fill me with your presence that I may walk in the spirit, that I may walk in unbroken, unbridled fellowship with you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.